At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, January 26, 2024 edition, and congratulations, you made it through another week and almost the first full week, first full month of the year. And you know, before we hit the exciting weekend, hope everyone has some fun plans. But before we do that, we need to finish the business. Close up the week of understanding what's happening in the markets, helping you find the opportunities and avoid the bad risks. It's not about avoiding risk altogether. You never want to do that. No risk is no reward. But it's about making smart or taking smart risks. And ultimately, that's what this is about. It's about, you know, a lot of people think investing is a casino because it seems so random to them. But if you understand data over the long period, you can become the casino, putting the odds in your favor. And our job here is to help you do that. Put the odds in your favor. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour to answer your finance and investment questions and give you my unbiased perspective developed over 20 plus years of investment experience. And we're going to touch on the market performance to close the week, as well as run down some show topics. But first, we're going to hit a caller question now. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Aaron in Louisiana. I was going to ask about VPU, Vanguard Utilities ETF. I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts are on utilities in the near future and maybe for a long-term hold any information you have i appreciate thank you well utilities long term are one of the worst performing sectors total return so that's the first thing you have to understand about utilities is they're much more like a bond than they are an equity in many ways now sometimes you can have the risk of an equity like you had with um what is it? Uh, the Edison one, the one in California? Yeah, Edison. I believe it is. Where they had the fire risks and their stock fell dramatically. But you don't have that kind of other side, which is big booms in profitability. And as an equity holder, that's kind of what you want exposure to. Yes, PG&E. That's what I was thinking of. PG&E that had the, the, the big uh, big drop. And 
that's why I don't think you want a huge exposure to utilities over the long term. Now, short, shorter term, during slowing economic environments where interest rates are likely to drop, having the utilities as kind of a bond proxy in your portfolio, especially a diversified ETF like this is the Vanguard World Utility ETF, I think is fine. I think it's fine to own that tactically. And you could argue right now, if you do think we're going into a recession, if you do think the Fed is going to go through a protracted easing cycle, that this would be a good place to be. But if you're on the other side where you see, okay, we're kind of going into the soft landing phase, the economy is not really going to slow much more than it has already over the last couple of years. And rates are not likely to be cut aggressively, then you might have a flat to higher interest rate environment. And in that case, utilities not going to be that great. And you look at the technicals, they're not that great. So what I would say is, well, I'll give you some perspective. Our portfolios, our strategies for clients. One to 2% of those portfolios are in utilities, three max, you know, it's, it's a small percentage. And I think it should kind of stay that way, at least for now. So I don't see any reason to get aggressive in utilities, adding a one or two or 3% allocation is fine, but being overweight utilities right now is, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but you can use it tactically in some instances. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes or so, and our main focus point concerns this topic, how investors are playing emerging market opportunities in India and Japan. And with U.S. markets looking top-heavy and those top names uh, on the expensive side, uh, investors are looking for other markets that have reasonable valuations and still good growth. So we're going to look at those two countries and why money is flowing there and if they still are attractive. We're also going to touch on a few other topics as well. One is in regards to liquidity. It's under discussed and most people just chalk it up to is the Fed raising or lowering interest rates. And the reality is it's more complicated than that. So we're going to break down what 2023 looked like from a liquidity standpoint, as well as how it's looking as we go into this year and whether market volatility is likely to increase or decrease. Also, luxury brands, they're starting to become a, a shift in trends, especially when you're talking about the elite brands in the luxury category. And those more aspirational brands, aspirational are ones that are more for the middle market consumer. They can't afford the elite brands, but these are still high quality brands. That is the first step towards eventually, maybe at some point buying one of those elite brands. And so there's kind of a shift going on. So we're going to cover those trends. And then lastly, the IPO market, will it come back to life in 2024? We also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One, one is on retirement and the other is Pool Corporation, P-O-O-L. And since it's Friday, I'll 
share a brief excerpt of the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. Now we're going to do a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. And if you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to John in Milpitas and looking at Visa. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy, and then I look at today is like... uh, other credit card company like uh, American Express, Master, they all are. But except for Visa, I was thinking it's a good time to buy right now. And I listened to your show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Well, Visa did have earnings after the bell yesterday. So that was the difference here between the American Express and those other credit card names. And Visa had slowing earnings and slowing growth really is what it was revenue growth was nine percent versus a year ago in the same quarter revenue growth was 12 percent and going all the way back to the first quarter of 2022 revenue growth was 25 percent. so you're seeing growth slowing pretty dramatically here same with earnings earnings were up 11 percent year over year but you go back to the first quarter of 2022 it was up 30 percent year over year And that's the issue is that it's trading at a pretty high multiple, about 30 times backward looking earnings, forward looking earnings is trading somewhere in the 27 times range. So a pretty hefty premium to the overall market. And that's fine. It's fine to pay a premium for this type of name, because you could argue Visa and MasterCard kind of have this duopoly along with you know, American Express over here on the side. And they're, get, they were, they're hoovering up more and more payments. More and more payments are being driven by their networks. The largest, Visa is the largest payment processing network in the world. However, will that continue is the question. Near term, probably. But will... Crypto, will Zelle, will other means of payment transfer 
start to eat into their their market share and ultimately their growth. And maybe that's what you're seeing here. Is that what you're seeing? I think that's the question. Because the economy is still growing and you would think that their growth would stay relatively steady, but it's not. And so that's my issue here is I've been saying this for a little while and frankly, I've been wrong. They've stayed at this premium. And I've said, I don't think it deserves this premium because of the risks to its market share over the medium to long term. Now, I could be wrong about that. A decade from now, we could still be all using Visa and MasterCard still, and they could have even more market share than they do today when it comes to transactions. But I'm going to fade that. I'm going to take the other side, that a decade from now, we'll have a a different, more diverse set of ways we can transfer payments than simply using the Visa and MasterCard network. So I don't love it. I think the valuation is too high, too stretched, and that's why I'm passing on. Let's take a look at the market today. It was a, a modest down day overall. The broad U.S. market was down three basis points, so flat to slightly negative. Small caps were strong, about up a quarter of a basis point. So there was some strength there. You had Intel down about 12%. That was uh, pretty much the biggest loser on the day for from the large cap names. Uh, what else? Do we get any KLA 10 core? Uh, that's a chip producer, chip, uh, excuse me, chip equipment. Trip manufacturing equipment producer. Uh, that was down 6.6%. Fair Isaac, make a FICO scores. That was down 6.8%. That was interesting. Big gainers on the day. Let's see any big ones? Booz Allen Hamilton up 13%. Yeah, that was pretty much it. So uh, kind of a mixed day as we go into Fed week. That's what next week is all about. Uh, and Monday, there'll be even bigger news in my mind. And that is the treasury funding plan that is going to be published. Are they going to issue more duration, meaning bills and, and, and that, that are or, or treasury debt that is longer than one year? That pay coupons, three, five, seven, 10 plus year maturities? Or are they going to stick with issuing a lot of short-term paper? And if they issue more duration, that's going to pull liquidity out of the market, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But there, the Treasury is becoming even more important these days than the Fed because of our debt issuance. And not just refinancing the debt that comes due, but we're running a $2 trillion deficit. And how are they going to finance that? With paper or with, with bills? Longer term paper, that takes liquidity out of the market. You could have a sell-off in risk assets, a rise in treasury rates like you did middle of last year. Or they could still focus on kind of supporting liquidity and just issuing more short-term paper. And I think that will be an interesting thing to watch on Monday and the Fed meeting on Wednesday. So both big announcements and uh, could be big market movers for next week. Now we're heading into a break. Let me remind you to check out our Invest.Classroom series over on our YouTube channel. 
Our latest one is on the residential housing market. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now our main focus point concerns this talk, how investors are playing emerging market opportunities in India and Japan. Well, India is kind of the new hot emerging market. And that's according to ETF investors and ETF flows over the past year. And it makes a lot of sense, especially as China continues to struggle. And corporations are clearly looking for alternative markets to invest in, invest their supply chains in. And due to the demographic situation in China, where their population is shrinking. And you look, they look at India and they see the exact opposite. India has one of the best demographic situations in the world. Tons of young people. It's a lot of human capital that can be deployed to build what China is building less and less of. And certainly has less human capital capacity to, to build it. So India is in many ways, a great macro play, but as we've said many times before, when a sector or an asset class gets hot and you see in the headlines, which certainly seeing that more and more, you have to be a bit weary about rising valuations. So is now the great time to be jumping into India? Probably not, but that doesn't mean that you can't wait for a cooling off period times where maybe it's not quite as hot, not as sexy. Maybe you have some bad news out of India, slower, slower economy. Maybe you have geopolitical problems that certainly are going to rise. They've had their spats with China, for example, on their border. And that brings valuations down and gives you some opportunity to get in. Because right now, India is trading anywhere from 22 to 23 times next year's expected earnings. That's higher than the S&P is trading at. And typically, the 10-year average for Indian equities is about 18 times. It's about a third more expensive than it typically is. Now, Japan's another name where investors are putting money. Now, the main reason is because after 30 years, 30 plus years past the, really the fall of Japan, and their, their real estate market. They did a lot of things they shouldn't have when it comes to running the, the crisis 
And that is instead of writing down bad assets, they made good banks buy bad banks. And that just saddled those banks for many years with bad debts and poor balance sheets and poor assets. But then you go through a correction period over three, 30, sorry, three decades, a lot of those problems slowly roll off and get corrected. And you're kind of through that now. There's also been some reforms, corporate reforms in Japan that's helping. And remember, Japan, while their demographics are bad as well, they've done a very good job of taking their intellectual property and applying it around the world. Think of companies like Toyota and Honda that produce a lot of their cars here in the United States. And valuations in Japan have not run away. Currently, valuations are much more depressed, especially compared to like in India, trading at about 14 times forward-looking earnings. In the longer term, I, I would say India has the potential for better prospects if they can kind of clean up, I think, their political system, make it a little less corrupt and focus more on doing the things that made China such a industrial powerhouse. And that is building out infrastructure that will support their companies. And that would bring in more business, create more jobs, and ultimately raise the standard of living for most Indians. But that is something they've been battling with for frankly, decades. So there's no guarantee that they will actually follow through there. But the potential is obviously much higher. Once again, much bigger country, better demographics, far more land and resources than Japan would have. Japan's very limited. They don't have a lot of immigration to help their workforce. They don't have a lot of natural resources because it's a series of islands. And they really rely on being highly educated and able to innovate. And so Japan is obviously safer, it's bigger companies, better IP, better assets globally for their, uh, for, within their country. And, but India, I think on the right pullback could be a great long-term buying opportunity if you're willing to take the risk. Now, the next Invest Talk, look into the story. The FTC has launched an AI inquiry into major corporations. That story is for Monday, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, 
what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, everyone. Uh, Joe from Pittsburgh. Thanks, guys, for an excellent podcast. Always enjoy listening to you. Uh, calling about ticker P-O-O-L, Pool Corp. Looking forward to hearing what you think. Thanks. All right, looking at Pool Corp. This is a distributor of swimming pool supplies, as the name would insinuate. Sells national brand and private label products to approximately 120,000 customers. Chemicals, replacement parts, as well as pool equipment, cleaners, filters, heaters, pumps, lights, etc. So its customers are pool builders, remodelers, independent retail stores, pool repair and service companies as well. Now, this is a name whose earnings ballooned during the pandemic. They made $5.83 in 2019, and they were on a nice growth trajectory, earning $3.47 back in 2016. So 347 to 583 in 2019, but in 2020 earned $8.43, then $15.20 in 2021, and then $18.43 in 2022. So huge jump. A three over threefold increase in earnings in just three years. Massive. But 2023, not quite as kind. Still a nice year, $13.16. That's 29% down from 2022. Now, this year is supposed to see a bounce back in earnings of 8% to $14.21, but it's trading at $377 per share. So you're talking about a high 20s multiple. And now revenue growth last quarter was negative 9%. Earnings growth was negative 26%. So the question is, will the growth even out? Will they start to earn closer to $15 per share and more and continue that growth trajectory? Maybe not threefold in three years, but back to, you know, a mid-teen to low 20% increase in earnings regularly. And if it does, I think this multiple is fine. But if it doesn't, and you have more of a continued reversion to the mean, that last year wasn't just a, a small reversion, then this was drastically overvalued. And that's the big question here. And I usually am a firmer believer that the COVID era was an anomaly that there will be a continued version to the mean. Now, the good thing here is they don't have a lot of debt, but trading at a, once again, an elevated multiple enterprise value to EBIT around 19 times. And I just don't see them maintaining these earnings and that growth. Now, the technicals look pretty solid. I'd say neutral to, to bullish, so that's good. But I just don't love the multiple, and I think the reversion of the mean, my bet would be the, the reversion of the mean continues as opposed to last year being a flash in the pan. Now, the KAPP premium newsletter was finished today, and it'll be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. In the market conditions section, we explained the S&P saw a slight dip today on Friday, but still managed to clinch weekly gains. NASDAQ fell 0.36% on Friday with the Dow reaching an all-time high, 
with a modest increase of 0.16%. The U.S. experienced mild inflation in December, which will have significant implications for the Federal Reserve's monetary policy decisions. Market predictions regarding the Federal Reserve's rate decision have historically been hit or miss, often estimating rate hikes or estimating cuts. The personal consumption expenditures price index rose 2.6% year-over-year in December, indicating a softening in prices. Core prices, excluding volatile food and energy, marked the smallest increase since March of 2021. Consumer spending, that was up 0.7% in December, meaning demand in the economy overall is fairly strong, although income growth was somewhat slower. The e, the International Energy Agency is warning of potential volatile gas uh, prices in gas, excuse me, in 2024, largely due to geopolitical tensions in the Middle East and Ukraine. And there's a lot more details in the newsletter. Now, in the stock ideas section, we highlight a technology company specializing in the design and manufacturing of automatic dimming rearview mirrors and other advanced electronic features for the automotive industry. Currently trading right above its 50-day moving average and about 5.3% above its 200-day moving average, no long-term debt, and free cash flow is around 14% of total revenue. It's a nice, it's a nice, uh, nice margin there. We're just looking at a global leader in the design and manufacturing of innovative flooring, ceiling, and cabinet solutions, trading about $92 per share. And it could be a good place to start a position. We name names in the newsletter. And when you subscribe at investtalk.com, you will receive the newsletter each Saturday via your inbox. Now, let's touch a little bit on liquidity. And this is an underrated aspect of near-term moves in the market. And despite continued quantitative tightening by the Fed, liquidity conditions appear to to ease, continue to ease, excuse me. And international funding markets are also thawing as well. Now, flows of global liquidity accelerated higher into the start of this year, expanding at about a 9% annual rate in the fourth quarter. Mainly that was led by Japan and China. Japan and China. And what you saw was a 3.8% increase in conventional bank credit and a 2.2% expansion in what is called shadow banking activity, meaning non-bank financials and their lending. The Eurozone and the UK actually had the opposite. They suffered a fall in liquidity in 2023. So they were the two markets and that's why they kind of underperformed because the liquidity dynamics continue to tighten there. And remember, it's not just the Fed that produces liquidity. The banks, our banks lending, our non-bank financials lending. And part of the indicators that tell you liquidity is rising is money market funds continue to jump. And that the quantitative tightening was offset by a couple of things. One was the bank term funding program, the BTFP. That was last spring during the banking crisis and also reverse repo. That's complex, but basically less money is being parked at the Fed through its reverse repo facility. And that means more money out into the economy. So as the reverse repo is drained, that's more liquidity into the system. 
Overall, liquidity injections increased 13% in 2023. And it's probably no coincidence that if you look at the 60-40 portfolio, that's about the increase in broader assets, right? If you blend kind of equities and bonds. Now, going into this year, what do you see? The Fed is obviously headed towards an easing cycle. Talking about ending QT. And the Bank of Japan, sorry, the Bank of China is worried about the slide in their equity markets. And now they're starting to step in. So those are the two largest central banks that are trying to stop the liquidity from leaving the system. They want more liquidity. Chinese commercial banks increased their lending by more than 10% last year. And the, the People's Bank of China contributed almost one-fifth of total, the total increase in global liquidity last year. And like I said, both the Fed and the PBOC are considering more easing. Now, global liquidity hit a low point about 15 months ago. The fall of 2022, we had the British guilt crisis, we had the, the Japanese uh, JGB crisis, and this was an inflection point. And usually liquidity is fairly cyclical. It's usually a five or six year time span between peaks and troughs, sorry, troughs. So that would put the current upswing in liquidity to likely last into late next year. And if liquidity is getting easier, that tends to bode well for asset prices. Now it's Friday, the weekend is here, or almost here. But now let's play another caller question from 888-99-CHART. I'm just wondering if you get some advice from a 51-year-old man who's been an artist all of his life and uh, various degrees of financial success, but really none that will carry me into my retirement years, set me up for financial security. I'm just wondering, how does one even approach that at my age and with um, not a wealth of job or professional experience that pays the rate that I've ever gotten? So um, <laughs> just asking that. Thank you. Well, if you are behind in saving, the number one way that most people save for retirement is through the 401k. Now, you being an artist, I live in Laguna Beach. It's an artist community. Not the biggest in the world, but there's certainly an artist community here. And so I knew a few artists, so I understand the, the plight of an artist and how cash flows can come and go. But you need to set up something to where there's a consistent saving mechanism because most people, they save through the 401k and not because they have some special power that allows them to be more disciplined. It's simply, they never see it, never see the money. And so if you can set up something maybe with your bank where a certain amount of every paycheck goes into a savings vehicle, where you never really see the money hit your bank account, 
That'd be ideal. It's something where it's about consistency. That's what 401ks help you do. Every two weeks, every first and 15th, however you're paid, it automatically goes in your 401k and it's consistent. And so if you can mimic that in some way and try to max that out, an IRA, you're over 50 now, so you get the catch-up contribution. Roth IRA, ideally, if you can. That's the first place you have to go and make it consistent. But then you also have to have an eye towards how much you need and lay out the cash flows, right? What the, What is that path? Is it $1,000 a month? Is it $2,000 a month? Is it $5,000 a month? I don't know. Depends on who you are. You're an artist. Most artists I know, they don't have big spending habits. They focus on their art. They focus on their community and they don't need a lot of money. And so maybe you're not far, as far off as you think if your needs are, are fairly modest. Thanks for the call. Now on Fridays, I generally make a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. So let me hit this list for you now. The two-year treasury yield down a bit from 4.41% last week to 4.36% the close of this week. 10-year treasury yield also down, but down less from 4.16 to 4.147, a little over one basis point. Nothing crazy, modest move on the 10-year. Gold price down slightly from 2026 an ounce to 2018 an ounce. And silver is actually up from $22.60 to $22.80 per ounce. Oil, that was up pretty nicely. 78.04 on the week from 73.58 last week. So big move uh, up in oil. Gasoline prices, they ticked up a little bit for the first time in a while, from $3.08 nationally to $3.10. Here in California, $4.48 down, three cents from $4.51 last week. In Kansas, average gasoline prices, $2.66. Now let's play another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, would like to get your opinion on Service Corporation International. The ticker symbol is SCI. Just want to know what a good valuation for the stock would be. Thank you. All right, looking at Service Corporation, and this is a name we have owned for clients, uh, and it has bounced back, was in a downtrend, and now it's back in an uptrend. So the technicals are improving. The biggest issue here is it does have a decent amount of debt. So that would be my biggest worry. Earnings growth is slowing, or has slowed, made $4.57 in 2021. And for everyone out there, what they do is they provide funeral, cremation, and cemetery services through 1,474 funeral sites and 490 cemeteries. Unfortunately, they were a benefit benefactor of the pandemic. And 2021 was a boom for them, but earnings have slowed. Earnings growth have slowed at least, but to a much higher level than we saw in 2019, $1.90 then to $3.61 expected today. And the technicals are fine, but it is in you know a medium-term downtrend. So I, want, I would like to see this get into a discount to the market. Right now it's trading at a slight premium to the market. And if you can get that, then I would pick it up. But um, I don't like the, the lack of growth and the fact that it's now trading at a slight premium to the market.
Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99Chart. So I know that you would never do this, but let's just say that you invested in a few speculative companies that are down 90%. Is that something that you would just cash out on and move on? Or would you call it a sunk cost and wait for a possible rebound? Obviously, I'm not going to give you a specific company and make you do the you know research on the metrics and the, and the earnings ratios and whatnot. Let's just suffice it to say that the fact that they're down 90% is not good. But in general, when it's down that bad, do you even bother taking the loss? Love for your opinion. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, if you have the loss to, if you have gains to offset that loss, that could certainly be a reason. But number one is going to understand why it's down that much. Now, typically, most stocks are down that much because their business is shot. That the market had priced in a certain level of future growth, certain level of profitability, and those expectations by the market are now gone. That that growth trajectory is far different than the market had been expected, expecting, or the profitability in the business that they had built maybe was taken away from them because another company out innovated them, for example, and now they're no longer the leader. You know, I think of the classic example is BlackBerry and, and Apple, right? BlackBerry obviously fell more than 90% after, you know, in, in the, the years after the iPhone was announced. And BlackBerry never recovered. You know, it's still in business, but it's a shell of its former self. So it's really about the prospects of that business. Most of the time, there's two, the, 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 that name is not going to anytime soon recover its lost glory. Maybe one day it can, can, you know, you change management and they can revive their business. Could also be, especially this happens in fashion, trends come and go. And one day that trend might come back, but usually it's decades into the future. And it's not worth that. It's not worth sitting around waiting for that. And then the most dire reason that can happen is the company has too much debt and therefore bankruptcy is likely. And therefore it's going to go down that other last 10%, right? And you're not going to lose 90% of your money. You're going to lose 10% or sorry, 100% because the equity would be worth, worthless. So most of the time, it's worth it to sell it and move on. Use that capital 
to find something better. But there are rare occasions where, you know, now the market might be wrong. You, you know, by your estimation, the market is wrong. It usually isn't, but maybe the market is wrong that its growth could come back or its business is down in the dumps for a transitory reason and things will bounce back in the next year or two. It's what happened. But it's not common. Let's just say that. Now, lastly, let's talk about the luxury markets. And what's interesting uh, for this year going forward is that there's different winners and different, I don't want to say losers, but when it comes to growth rates, there are big differences here between kind of your elite brands and your more aspirational brands. So bigger brands are likely to outperform the smaller ones. And really, this is because high net worth individuals, they're still driving the growth and they tend to buy the elite brands because they can afford it. But the middle income consumer, they're struggling more because of inflation, not amazing real income growth. And so those middle income brands not doing quite as well. For example, LVMH has more than 75 as more immediate markets, uh, brands, and it's 75 different brands it has, and expecting growth of only 9% versus uh, Hermes, they're expecting about a 15% increase in growth. And it's mainly driven here still by the Chinese consumer. And the Chinese consumer is slowing down as well. The Chinese consumer will drive 60% of the sectors, the luxury sectors growth this year. So how China does will have a big impact on the luxury market. Well, that about does it for this week of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.